Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. The great Rob Lee. The Rob Lee you know and love. Baltimore's Rob Lee. You know, fill in whatever other blank you got. Today, I am in conversation with an artist, archivist, and curator. Please welcome Dion Moses. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be in conversation with you tonight. Absolutely. Happy to have you on. Um, big shout out to you. Like the, the work that you're doing. I like this me visual. Too. That's the Baltimore. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I see the background. It's just like highlights. It's like a trailer of all the cool stuff that you've been involved in. So shout out to you. Um, so as we get started, um, I want to start off with this softball kind of question or what have you. Some might think it's more of a hardball than a softball, but um, what's the Dion Moses story? Give, give us give us a story. Um, and, you know, what was it that led to this turn to your career in like arts? OK, um, I am a transplant uh, into Baltimore. I grew up and I'm originally from northern Baltimore. I spent some time in PG County, um, but I went to grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, and it was just, um, you know, I didn't know who I was or, or much about my culture while I was there. My mother was also is from the Caribbean and um, she really wanted to assimilate into into uh, American culture. So um, I've always kind of didn't know, you know, who I was. Eventually I went to college, dropped out after a year of HBCU, shout out to VSU. Um, and I joined the military as a broadcast journalist. And so when I joined the military as a broadcast journalist, um, it really opened up my eyes into other cultures. Um, but I was still surrounded and still always looking and, and, and connecting to our people. People. Uh, when I lived in Korea for three years, I had a radio show and also documented life um, of soldiers in, in the field. And the majority of the soldiers who lived um, closer to the DMZ area were African-American. Yeah. Um, and so um, I when I was out doing news stores and things like that, things that were assigned to us were catered to um, our white comrades. And um, I started noticing that, no, I want to talk to um, him who's you know working over here because he's also doing that work. So slowly but surely, I started um, highlighting black stories um, in my radio show, um, you know, highlighting our culture. Um, and it was a hit. Um, I eventually was diagnosed with MS um, and um, went to uh, live in, uh, which is multiple sclerosis, and then went to live in LA. Um, while I was in LA, I was also working for the government doing news. And the same thing was happening, the same gaps that I was seeing again. So I started highlighting um, black life in LA. Um, doctors, paparazzi, um, other um, uh, midwives, other communities all over um, all over L.A. And I eventually also started going to, you know, more museums and different things like that and seeing um, work by Renee Cox. Um, I love I love fantasy. <laughs> so like um, seeing her works, I was when I was thinking about like who really inspired me, um, I really I was like, oh, she's she's speaking to me. She's talking about the history, but she's also talking about liber liberating us today when she was um, um, freeing Uncle Ben. And mm -hmm. you ever seen that one in Aunt Jemima? So yeah. I was like, I want to I want to do something like that. And so um, it, it led me back to Micah and it led me back to the to let me back. To, it led me to Micah, excuse me. And it led me to Maryland. Yeah. So that's kind of like where how I've came back you know, to the East coast. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting trajectory there. Like I, <laughs> right. I, 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 I love it. <laughs> Took you over the world a little bit, actually. <laughs> I try to keep it short because I have lived several lives. Trust me. I've I've lived one. It, it, I don't know if it's been particularly good. No, 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 no. <laughs> for another time story for, for another podcast. Right. Right. So let's see. So one, one of the things that, that, that came up a lot, obviously, is um, black eyes. Tell me, tell me about it. What, and tell me about Black Ives and what's yeah. the mission? Yeah. So Black Ives is a business that I started um, 
to assist communities and individuals with research, um, archival services, as well as mobilizing that research, whether it be an exhibition, um, it could be, um, it might not even be mobilizing it. It could just be um, compiling that information to a finding aid or summarizing what we have and what we found. Um, and just something that I've noticed um, throughout archival work that's happened in Baltimore and being a newly, I, I was, people, I don't, can't call my, I want to call myself an archivist um, because of the work that I do, but I am, I'm officially applying for MLS, MLIS school um, at University of Maryland next year to officially get that degree. But um, in the archives, I've seen a lot of communities, our communities um, lacking with resources to preserve those materials. It, it might not be organized, but there's, you know, it might not be organized, it might not be, or it is organized, but there aren't any, um, archival boxes and different things like that, or no one's there to actually properly care for and tell people what to do next. Yeah. So that's where I've kind of like wanted to really um, focus on with Black Ops LLC and um, assisting different communities, individuals with that. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to a few um, folks that are working with archives and, you know, I think it's one, it seems like it's never enough because <laughs> like it's, 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 it's a rich history, um, especially here. And, right. you know, you have, you start looking at demographics. Like I, I get caught in the numbers, like my day job is a numbers guy. It's like, mm -hmm. where's the analytics? And you have a city that's 70% black. And mm -hmm. then there's only like, you know, maybe it's my ignorance here, but you're like the third one, a third archivist that I've spoken to or who's doing that sort of work. And I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, where, where are the rest? There's so many stories. There are so many yeah. stories. Yeah. There a lot of people, there are more um, archivists of color yeah. coming um, to the area and going through school. Um, I've been attending a lot of um, archives conferences, um, Merrick, which is the Mid-Atlantic Region Conference, um, oral history conferences and different things like that. And I'm always meeting more um, um, archivists. There are a few that are that live in Baltimore, but um, you know, live, work in DC. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, a few over here. Um, so yeah, the archives community is growing. Um, people of color are coming. And so I'm really excited to see, to see the field grow and to be a part of it. Yeah. It just, you know, cause I think a lot of times, like, I don't know my own family history or what have you. So like having like that culture, it's like, Oh, we may have been from North Carolina. Like everyone was, we may have come yeah. from, everyone was, it's like, yeah. let's, let's get to some degree of how far can I trace back? And I think other cultures kind of like, or it's more accessible to get that when I see that, um, what is it? The 23 and me sort of commercials or what have oh, you. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, all right, people. I'm sure that's great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some, I mean, some people can do it with their, um, with their family trees. Others can't. I, um, because of the work that I'm doing now and like knowing so much about other people's history, it has really galvanized me over the last year and a half mm -hmm. to look into my own history and my family history. And I've taken the 23andMe test. I've taken the, um, ancestry tests um and they kind of yielded the same results um and i can't only go back maybe to my great grandfather it's connecting me with some other family members um yeah. and they can give me some things but yeah it's you cannot you cannot trace um black people um very well through ancestry at all because of course they didn't you know see us as human and didn't um, count us in the census until after 1860 so yeah that, that, that's going to lead to these next bullet points oh, that fall okay. under here. Uh, you're okay. going to love this. Uh, so what prompted that, that interest? And I think you, you really, you know, spoken out a little bit, what prompted that interest in looking under the surface and raising the collective awareness around institutional racism, like on the campus, um, yeah. um Baltimore and in the broader art world? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I when I came to Micah, I was a transfer student. I was about 30 years old, just got the military. Um, I've been off like maybe like two years. Um, and I knew that Baltimore was a predominantly black city. Yeah. Um, and so I also had visited the college and the campus and I saw black people working there. And so, you know, I just assumed that, you know, um, it was a pretty wide, diverse community. Um, I came to class and literally the first week and I'm, you know, getting oriented with the classes and the and students and I'm the only black person in my class. Um, I think maybe in my photography class, I think there was three of us, but in the other classes we were, it was, all, I was the only one. And so I made me start thinking like, what is up with this place? Like, what is the history behind it? Like, how yeah. did this happen? Um, and so I started asking, I started going to black student union meetings and asking them and they did not know. Um, I was asking other professors on the campus um, who had been there for a while, they didn't know. So, you know, of course, go to the library. Um, they told me they had a big a book. Oh, I just put it up somewhere. Um, they have a 300 page book um, that they had just printed. And so I started reading um, the book and I came to page 91, which talked about segregation at the Institute, but it was completely whitewashed straight up. It was whitewashed. Um, they mentioned our first black student, Harry T. Pratt, and then some other black students came, but they didn't go into further detail about who their names were, what did they go on to do, anything like that. And so I was like, Err. like, right. what is, who are these people? What happened to them? Like, that, that that's, can't be the end of the story. Of course, I read the rest of the book. They mentioned a few um, black artists who had taught at the Institute, but that's it. Like, that yeah. was it. That was it. And so um, that, that's that's what it started from right there. I said, OK, well, I'm going to find out more about Harry T. Pratt and I'm going to start looking into when um, when Micah got sued and maybe even looking into some newspaper articles um, to find out what it was. So it led me to the Afro um, and it led me to more. It, of course, I love the Afro. It led me to the Afro, the Sun and um, other different um, court proceedings. And so that just that is what started, you know, the interest in the archives. And of course, when it came to community, working at the University of Baltimore, Angela Rogers Kukui, and the work that they do at University of ba Baltimore with community archives. So it has just really just snowballed from like 2017. That's kind of when it started happening, 2017. And it's been um, growing ever since. That's that's great and important work. And it shifts into like, I think one, I think it's, it's a great start because you know, the way that you describe that start, it starts off as a question, you know, like, right. why is this the case? Yeah. And, you know, getting into that investigative, getting into that, you know, especially as a data guy, it's like, oh, let's get to the granularity. What's right. the data exactly. here? And, you know, when you're able to uncover those things, you're like, no, this should be different. Why is this the case? And mm -hmm. I, I, I talk on occasion about this, this notion of Baltimore's rebrand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there are a lot of firsts here and not all of them are good. And we seem mm -hmm. not to talk about them, but they right. still have repercussions that affect right. people that look like you and me. Right. And, you know, it's like, no, no, own all of it. And, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the census or have you. And I remember uh, being on a campus, uh, being on the, the campus of Johns Hopkins and just walking by, you see different things. And, you know, you, you read signs, you know, we, we mm -hmm. don't read, we won't read at all, but right. no, you, re, you read signs and you see, oh, this is where the, you know, the quarters for us. Like, oh, slave quarters. Right. Like, like right there. This is something to acknowledge that. Right. And. I think in recent years, you know, you have Micah, we have JHU and we have, you know, right. Baltimore Sun all kind of having to acknowledge right. publicly, whether it's through the apology from from Micah. Shout out to you. Right. Uh, <laughs> JHU and this this kind of weird right. sort of, yeah, you know, Hawkins had slaves, but we only counted so many. It's like, mm -mm. 
Right. Because that story was really weird. It's like, we'll yeah. acknowledge it, but we're not going to say it's like if you had power and wealth, this right. was property. Right. Exactly. So that's 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 not diminished. It can't be both. It can't be you were one of the wealthiest people here, but you only had right. one slave. That's not how that works. Mm hmm. And then the Baltimore Sun being outed for just some of the different things that they've done and how their reporting has gone. And there are other, obviously, more. So from your standpoint and doing like research in this field and kind of like really like uncovering a lot of things and revisiting and unearthing and things of that nature, what do you want to see more of these kind of like prominent entities that have, you know, kind of reaped some of these benefits that have mm -hmm. worked unchecked in right. regards to making these sorts of amends? Right. I would like to see tangible, quantifiable like results. You know, the way the way we can look in the archives and see like you made this amount of money, you affected this person, you've done that. Like, let's go back and assess that, do more research into who you affected, how you affected them, and then that plus interest. I think that's a, a one way yeah. to definitely to definitely start, continue to reflect and do the research because I feel like, you know, we've looked into Micah's racist past, they've apologized, but like, how are we moving forward from here? Yeah. Are we making the space safer? Are we hiring um, more people of color, faculty of color? Are we researching and assisting with the Black Archives Project? Are we teaching um, people about the history of the institution and how it relates to the city of Baltimore has affected the city of Baltimore because that's important because not knowing the history of a place if whoever comes in after they're going to continue to do whatever they want to do or they or might not even acknowledge what they've done in the past and that's just a continued preparation of, of hurt to mm -hmm. the community and so that's for me that's definitely one of you talking about like internally what you can do yeah. and then the other is straight up asking the communities what they want like I you know I'm a, like I said a transplant to Baltimore been here five six years straight up ask them you know what do they want what can we do and how can we build the bridge maybe they're not ready to talk maybe they do have specifics um, but I definitely think talking to the community and asking them specifically what they want and how can you make amends um, and start from there and continue to make those amends until you made peace, but maybe it might not never happen. Yeah. Paying for the rest of your life, okay? Because if you think about it general, generationally, like how can we make up for black people who were denied at the college in 1891, from 1894 to 1954 when schools were desegregated? Yeah. Like. That's generational. There's so many counts of people that we can't even count who maybe even thought to go, but then said, oh, I can't go. So I'm not even going to go there. We don't have their names reported because it was just a thought. So I think generationally, like it's so vast, but the schools need to look, continue to look within themselves, but also turn to the community for those answers. And I, and I think that that distinction on the date, too, makes a lot of sense. 1954. Right. And mm -hmm. my dad right. was born that year. So, my dad, yeah, my dad was born 56. So yeah. you, you start looking at that math, right. it's like, you know, there's a grandparent that was around and this stuff is baked in and it's, it, right. it, and it's curried down. And mm -hmm. there are opportunities that one couldn't, you know, just look at, like, if this opportunity was there, there would have been a better chance for X, Y and Z. Doesn't mean it guarantees anything. Right. But these things were legally right. you know, preventing right. things from happening. Right. And, you know, as a proud HBU, HBCU alum, you know, Morgan State University, shout out to them. Uh I, I remember going to these different convocations about um, about reparations and, and things of the sort. Yeah. And I, I used to always kind of listen to the argument. I was like, you guys are just talking. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, what's the substantive thing? Mm -hmm. And only only up until recently, I kind of got an idea. One was, was a comedian's bit, which I thought was really funny. He was just like, you know, just, you know, 
he's like, you can't just get people a lump sum of cash. It's just more sneakers. Right. He's like, we're just going to buy more sneakers. And that's just what's happening. He's like, but maybe make us exempt from income tax for five years. Right. Maybe, right. maybe do something like that. And, you know, I remember, you know, post George Floyd, with all the performative stuff of Kente cloth and trolls and taking knees and all of that. Mm-hmm. And some people felt like, oh, we might actually get reparations. So it's like, no, because they have to acknowledge something. Right. That's that's a challenge. I was like, right. or the second stage, and this is me getting on my soapbox. The second stage would be we start to determine who's black. Right. Or, or who's worthy of that. And, right. you know, it's a way to do it. It's a way to determine all of these things. Just don't want to do it. It's not it's not top of mind. So base mm-hmm. level is eh, we can acknowledge it. Yeah, I I I was I had also thought about that um, when you posed the question earlier and, you know, um, monies or reduced tuition. That would be an idea. Free tuition. But like you said, you'd have to start defining who's black and that's just yeah it just it'll be uglier yeah. right exactly and then that that then once again it would probably it would stray us away from what the goal and what we're trying to do um so yeah it's definitely a work in progress but talk to the community see what they want i would love to see um a lot of the colleges in baltimore all of them actually look like the city the demographics in baltimore yeah absolutely and having opportunities yeah, something that's reflective and we get to, you know, mm-hmm. the definition game of what is equality versus equity, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know how to make those distinctions because they both start with A. Right. Uh, I'm just going off of being black right. military robbed now slowly. You know, the disease is changeably, so that, that too. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I want I want to ask this question that, you know, and I don't know, I don't know if it applies because of like really, you know, kind of covering and, and, and going through history and kind of like doing this this documentary piece and this archival piece, what do you choose to keep out like from an, from an art standpoint? Because I know that and it may not it may be omission, but it may be I'm choosing to only do this sort of piece. Like, you know, you hear about artists that say I'm only going to use blue. I'm only going to paint right. with this one color or the Dr. Seuss thing. I'm only going to use 20 words in this book and right. we'll figure it out. So right. it's a degree of difficulty thing. So how do you choose what to leave in or what to, 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 to take out in your, in your work? That is my hardest, hardest thing. <laughs> Cause as a historian, a storyteller, like I want you to know everything and all the details and, you know, and it took, and it, to me, I love the details cause they, they help you find um, what you, the details, they speak to me and they, they tell me things They can tell me emotions and other things that you don't you wouldn't normally get from from um, just like a straight up quick short fire story. So I have honestly, I have the trouble leaving things out. I think the way I try to work around it is um, working like because I work in different mediums, like sometimes I help with exist, trying to put on exhibitions, doing programming or maybe even working on short form platforms like TikTok, social media, things like that, or Instagram. So those are kind of the ways I try to find ways to leave to not to to disseminate the information in a way that's best for the audience to consume it. You could do blog formats or even like, you know, interviews and things like that. But that's one of my hardest things. I think when I thought about this question, it was first thing that came to mind was this uh, veteran, Leon A. Norris, who um, tried to, he tried to come to Micah right before 1954. And um, he, he sued Micah. I think he was the second person to sue Micah and um, he lost. Mm -hmm. And um, later on, when I was doing more research on him, I found out that maybe shortly after that, I want to say maybe a year or two after that, he got in an argument with his wife and he stabbed her. 
um, and he had to go to jail. Oh, and when I told, when I was telling other people his story, I never found out what happened to him or what happened to her. I'm sure she lived. It said that she lived, but um, I never found out what happened to her or her. And when I told people about her, when I told people about the story, and it kind of just ends there. They're like, okay, leave that part out. Don't tell us about him. I'm like, but he's a human. Like he's that. That's yeah. like he's. I don't want to leave anything out because, I mean, I don't know what happened. Maybe he comes out. And he becomes. Um, a better man and he does other, he does things differently i don't know i'm still i'm still trying to find out things about liana norris so it's hard to cut things out um for me for people's lives um because that's that's their story yeah. and i think that their story deserves to be told so i just try to find better ways to tell it for the platform but me i i try my best to put everything in there and it's so hard but um i try my best to, to summarize it but if, if anything i try to get away with it through like different platforms it's it's like the thing where when you have like filmmakers and saying well here's the director's cut it's like right. i don't know if we need the four hour version right. can you can you know what's right. those concessions look like <laughs> right i can say this though another way to leave that i do leave things out that's not on my own accord is um like specifically working with community if mm -hmm. the community or somebody chooses to cut things out then i respect that and then it's it's cut so for instance i did an interview with an alumni and things got a little emotional and it was recorded but then maybe i think it was maybe a few weeks later they came back to me and say hey i want to embargo this until you know i feel comfortable totally yeah. understand it you know so those are sometimes that are things are are cut out but i try my best to um to show and talk about everything as they are, because I feel like we got to acknowledge these things so we can move on and not move on, but we, so we can acknowledge them and we can confront them and then yeah. make amends within the community and start the healing process. Cause we can't just move on. It's not just move on. Like, Oh, we now just move on. No, we need to start healing. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's one thing that it's, never easy work per se to have to confront something to have to acknowledge it and try to move through it that's that's difficult work it's it's, it's lifting weights in some ways and yeah. i i always like uh, I, I go back to to around the time of the fallout especially from a pop culture standpoint around like george floyd and you remember uh, just different things. So let's edit this. We, it's like, you let that air though. This, mm -hmm. this weird minstrel episode or what have you. It's just like, oh, mm -hmm. you chose to have blackface in here. It's like, right. don't, don't suddenly get woke. No, 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 no. Sit in that. Right. Like, because right. It, it existed and you can have a disclaimer. I, I would I would say that, but don't start burying. Own your failure or own yes. that this was a different time. And you know, and have context in it. But at a time, y'all thought this was cool. Y'all thought this was comedy and mm -hmm. thought this was acceptable. And, you know, that's just kind of what that is. And you see these these shifts now and it feels a little over sanitized. And I, I think about it in terms of doing this podcast. You know, I, if anybody wants something taken out, I'm fine with it. Absolutely. But when mm -hmm. someone's like, yo, can I curse in here? I was like, sure, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Whatever feels authentic for you. But also... You know, if you're choosing every other word as an F word, that's your prerogative. And right. someone's consuming your content, you're like, yeah, I do these great children books. It's like, uh, right. Are you sure about that? Are you sure? I don't, I don't know if parents right. are going to buy that. You know, just. Right. And I, I had a had a guest um, reach out this morning, and it was a funny question. Um, I, I asked him like, "What's the most important word in the English language?" And they said the F word, and it was really funny. We both got a laugh out of it. He hits me this morning. He's like. Yeah, I got a family friendly brand. Can you take that out? He's like, I thought about it. And I was like, yes, because that, you know, I'm, I'm ahead. I only posted one episode right. so far of the season. But it is important to kind of like, you know, work with it while trying to maintain the integrity of what you're doing. Yeah. And authenticity. Like, this is storytelling. This is supposed to be authentic, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I I totally agree with you um, on that. I've been thinking a lot about that with MIBA mm-hmm. and um, our return to social media and and the revamp of the web page and things like that. And like, how, what's the voice? How does it sound? And I went back and looked at other posts and I spoke with other social media professionals and looked at other people who are doing this kind of work, telling stories, historical stories, especially in the way the language that we use. And I found myself to be too sanitized, like you said. Like I, I was like, not, like you know, I wanted to be to be more conversational and yeah. sound like how I. Sound because I, I like you know like the way I sound that I communicate differently yeah. and we communicate differently and, it, and it's a it's it's content for our community so I totally agree with you I'm trying my I'm trying my best this semester I mean this semester this um going forward yeah. um with with language and and being intentional about it as well it's important mm-hmm, for sure definitely so, so I got I got two more like real questions okay and then I got some rapid fire questions that no oh. one gets away from everyone gets the rapid fire oh, that's just how it gosh. goes. Um, so I want, I want to talk about photography a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. so from, from, um, from a photographer standpoint, what do you like have your photography? What do you, ha- what's the aim of your photography in comparison to like what mainstream journalism, you know, tries to capture and they kind of miss like, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes having a, a, a black person maybe catch capture something mm-hmm. it's different than someone who may not have that experience mm-hmm. and may not have that, that kind of cultural like uh beacon that cultural representative representation right. so tell me about that so for me in the portraits um that i've been taking over the years um which covid um uh, really screwed me over um <laughs> so revamping the, the project backed up especially this year um is for me the first it started off with me documenting the community but over the over the years that i've seen and i've kept in contact with a lot of alumni many people some people have moved some people are still here um as i've been moving forward and thinking about it i've been like thinking about the archive as a family because we are a family we are a community um and i'm not just photographing students i'm photographing people who attended the university people who interact people who are adjacent to the college um and so i'm, a, I'm photographing the artistic community and i've well, I've been watching them grow, you know, and so for me, I'm thinking about it as a fa- as a as a photo op, but also family. And I'm looking and I'm enjoying the um, enjoying seeing people grow. Some people have started families. Um, you know, some people have gone on to great acclaim, um, you know, so other people are, are teachers. Um, some people are, you know, t- uh, teachers at the university, teachers here in the city of Baltimore. And so some people have changed career paths totally. So um I've been really looking at this uh, at the community archive and the portraits, especially kind of like starting to move towards it was always family, but mm-hmm. I'm like now watching the family, the family grow, expand. I'm still capturing um, the community who are incoming class um, and people who are who are who are new um, to the to the to the university or to that space, should I say? Um, so I've been really thinking about it. Like you know, you see those watch those movies over years, and then you see them, you see the characters grow. It's kind of yeah. like kind of like that for me, um, but but it's family. I'm also wanting to have the the role of like photojournalist um change just from my eye to other um other photographers last semester i was inviting some photographers in to to photograph just like you said to see a different eye and when black people are photographing and we're actually a part of the community um or if you are adjacent um there are photographers i've had i've had photographed who are adjacent to the community like they didn't attend the college but um they're in the art community here in Baltimore. So just seeing um, people in our eye and, and, and documenting us or the community um, from our own standpoint, rather than, you know, like you said, somebody from the outside, because um, I don't want it to be any type of like spectacle or, you know. That's, <laughs> that's important, especially, especially here. You, you, you know how it works here where, you mm-hmm. know, 
there have been so many goofy things and so many failures that have happened. And we've, I think, touched on them a little bit uh, earlier that, you know, the community here is not, you know, like, I'm going to believe you guys. It's like, nah, you got to do something that feels right, that feels earnest, and that feels like it's committed to what the community is made up of. And when people don't see that, and and I've I've seen it in, in meetings that I've attended, it's like you guys are carpetbaggers or you guys are not about the community. This mm-hmm. is, you know, performative or whatever the, the thing is, but it's yeah. never a positive. <laughs> right. They're getting something out of it. Got to get something out of it for sure. Do the right thing. And mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, you've got a daily double there. You kind of actually answered the last question that I had in, in that that piece. So, so thank you there. So I, I think it's time. I think it's time. I think it's time for us to hit these rapid fire questions. Okay. All right. right. I'll give you the preface real quick. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. I'm known to say some wild stuff. So I'm like, oh, my God, what am I about to say? I'm going to give you a softball to start off with. So, you know, you kind of get acclimated. Okay. What is the last book you read? Oh, um, on Africa Shore. Actually, that's not true. It's called John Russworm. It's on John Russworm. Yeah. What is something that gave you joy recently? Something that brought you joy? Uh, my two kitty cats. Nice. I got cats. I got a cat as well. He's. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta feed him in a bit. <laughs> he's, ah, he gets yeah. fed twice a day. He gets fed twice a day. He's. He's like the king uh, here, unfortunately. Uh, I make homemade cat food. Don't tell nobody. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he just gets like the the equivalent of McDonald's. And it's like here, Aww. enjoy. Um, what is your go to snack? Like you know, like what what do you like if you're able if you're just like look I need something what's the thing that you're reaching for. Um, everybody knows I love Wendy's. <laughs> nice. I love Wendy's. What are you getting from Wendy's? What, what's the what's the order? What's the typical order? Um, I like the breakfast. The number one, no bacon. That honey chicken biscuit <laughs> on the croissant. Oh, that sounds southern. <laughs> jelly on there. Lap. <laughs> I mean. I, I just like like in terms of like a snack, I, I love cashews. I, I get loose oh, on some cashews. Exactly. Um, but as far as like kind of like a fast food situation, oh, I mean, yeah. they're terrible people as far as like the people that work there are great. But the people that kind of run it are eh, they're homophobic, um, maybe racist. I, I like Chick-fil-A. I do like Chick-fil-A. I thought Chick-fil-A was also um, homophobic. Oh, they're homophobic and probably racist. So, yeah. It's, right, exactly. It's like, um, well, I didn't, I'm going to have to do some research on Wendy's. Um, but, yeah, I guess if you do, I, you're right. If I, if I was going to say a snack, um, I do like strawberries. I have keep the strawberries and raspberries on deck. Yeah, ber- berries, berries are good. They got the good color there, too. Right, yeah. They'll get smoothies. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the other fake snack when I was really heavy on like the weightlifting was definitely, yeah, I'm going to have a protein shake. You know, where's the bananas? Let me get some creatine. It's like, all right, less. Um, so let's see. Uh, favorite place in Baltimore? Like, where do you like to like, like Max, relax, uh, restaurant, uh, park? What is a place that like, you know, I really, this is definitely a Dion place. Tell me. Oh, my favorite place to relax, probably my backyard. My little slab of concrete back there. Um, nice. I think that's my that's my spot right there. It's quiet. It's it's like by the alley, and yeah. it's, it's it's always shaded. Like where I live is very very quiet. Surprisingly, it's just very, it's in the middle of the city, but it's very quiet back there. I'm a I'm a station north kind of guy. 
Like, like I, I feel like I get a lot of maybe a creative ghosts that are floating around, but I get inspiration there. And it's kind of like I find myself finding places to kind of hang out because I'm still trying to get the the creative Holy Ghost, if you will. It's like, hey, let me go ahead and get a drink. Oh, I'm just so relaxed. Oh, let me pull up my notepad. I got an idea. I'll go over there and see Kevin. He'll he'll help you out. <laughs> Lots of energy. Love Kevin. Yes. Uh, this is the last one I got. OK. Uh, outside of your art. And outside of your work with the archives, uh, what are your interests and how do you and how, what are your interests? How do you like spending your leftover time? We, none of us have enough time. But in those few moments, you know, that are available, what do you like to spend your time doing? I like spending I could, my favorite thing to do is spending time with my brother and my nephew. We hang out all the time. Um, we go fishing together. We go we drive around. We go to Lorraine Caverns. Um, I just love spending time with my my brother and my nephew. My nephew rem- reminds me of my brother's older than me, but my nephew reminds me of my brother when we were young. He teases me. He treats me like my brother all the time. So I just love hanging out with my, my nephew. And if I'm not with them, um, I do also like to rollerblade. You might see me on like Maryland Ave, like rollerblading down nice. the, um, <laughs> the uh, bike path. So, um, yeah, I, I love to rollerblade. Try not to get caught over there with like Joe Square to say, it's like, ah, oh, God, move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's my turn. Yeah, I usually go that way or maybe a little bit farther and then I come back down. Yeah. I was, uh, I think I was there like, I was at, I know I was at Joe Square like last week and I was like, yeah, I just want a burger and some, some fries. That'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, I've been there. And at least I haven't been there like maybe like two months, but yeah, I like Joe Square. Yeah. So, that's pretty much it. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. And oh, thank um, you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, I want to invite you to uh, tell the fine folks, um, you know, anything you feel like we've missed and tell them where to check you out on your work. Um, I would say the one thing that I, I would like to say about um, MIBA and what I'm trying to do with like, especially the future is also it's, it's thinking about the idea of Maryland's two black carves archives expanding outside of Micah. There are a lot of um, artists and events and things like that, that Micah is just like a blip in the, in the story, you know, yeah. these people went on to do great things um, and some not so great things, but also um, they can tie back in into the institution. So a lot of times people say, this is only, only about Micah. I'm like, no, Micah was just, one situation or one maybe they got in maybe they didn't get in um maybe they worked here um but they have affected the lives of the art world they've affected life in baltimore they've affected life in africa um so uh yeah i just want to expand the the idea that um the archive is not only for and about micah but it's also for the city and for the community um here in baltimore and outside um but definitely here in the city of baltimore um and they can find me um relaunching the website um beginning of september coming back to social media with new research new facts new partnerships um lots of programming and definitely if you see me out on the street with a camera, come and get your picture taken um, so we can add you to the archive. And also some oral histories coming up uh, in the future, too. So, yes, um, keep keep your eye out um, and your ears to the streets for us because um, we out here. <laughs> More great things coming soon, folks. So there you have it. I want to again thank Dion Moses for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art, community and, and archives in and around Baltimore. He's going to look for them.